Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Yeah, this is Joe Moss, and this is On the Money, our weekly show brought to you by Embassy National Bank. Uh, we're joined today. By, oh, by the way, what was that music on the lead-in? That was pretty good stuff. We just found that on the internet somewhere. Did you? Got it for free, didn't you? <laughs> Don't get us in trouble now, Joe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I think that was my little brother. He was telling me he was going to send you something. That was that was from the Joe Moss yeah, Music Library. That was my little brother. Okay, good. That was your little brother? Yeah. That wasn't you? No, it was my little brother. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, seriously, we're going to talk today about... Um, personal banking and transactions and remittances and payments and uh, where that's headed and where we think it's going to be over the next five to seven years. We're joined today by Mr. Ben Roby, and uh, Ben is the uh, head of all of our retail banking at Embassy National Bank, and uh, um, young, smart guy, understands technology extremely well. He's uh, developed some of these some of these things, so he's a good person to talk to. So, Ben, welcome today. Good to be here, Joe. Thank you. Yeah. Um, ben, before you came to the bank, you were instrumental in, in rolling out the whole debit card technology. Is that correct? I worked at a company called FIS, which is a, a big, major, in fact, the biggest player in um, – banking processing behind the scenes uh data processing that makes bank works or banks work um my role was in the implementations department at um at the debit card shop so we made a lot of debit cards work for a lot of banks and and hopefully not too many not work for, for a lot good. of things and uh you were telling me earlier that uh what's coming in the debit card world is that uh i guess the smart chip that's on the card uh, that will be used to further authenticate the uh, the user of that card? Yeah, in the near-term future, in the debit card and really payment world, um, one thing that's gotten a lot of press and, and people talk about it right now is um, something called EMV, which is EuroPay MasterCard Visa. Um, basically, this is a little chip that goes in a debit card. Um, everything else works kind of the same as it does today, and, and that little chip helps um, make cards less reproducible. So somebody would have a harder time, a lot harder time really, stealing information from a point of sale and reproducing another card with it. Um, it doesn't do a couple of things. In particular, it doesn't really help with online protection. So somebody stealing information could go online and do transactions, not as themselves. Um, so EMV is a good next step. Um, it's gotten... A lot of its uh, current wave of notoriety because of the breaches at Target and Neiman Marcus. So there's a lot of um, retailers moving to accept that kind of technology, that kind of payment. There's a lot of banks getting ATMs like us um, to accept it at the ATM for withdrawals and inquiries and that kind of thing. Um, and uh, so I think it's going to have its day. I think it's it's a relatively short-term fix, though. I don't think it's the long-term. Yeah. Um, I guess what we've seen uh, recently is the massive explosion of different ways to process payments and remit money. Um, what are some of the newest things that you see out there? 
Um, some of the things that we've got going today that I'm interested in um, are uh, anything that, that makes, um, like you say, remitting, remitting money more accessible. So um, one of our products uh, that, that we, we, we have through a vendor called Pot Money um, helps with peer-to-peer payments. So you're at dinner, you want to split a check, that'll work. Um, somebody gives you a, a phone number or an email address, and there you go. Um, bigger banks have uh, fairly more involved versions of this, um, and a couple of very large banks have actually started to get together to uh, pool their networks to make these kinds of things actually real time, um, which is something that uh, as bankers on the back end, we know that um, sometimes uh, transfers like that aren't real time. They take a day or two to process. So on the on the pop money is kind of like paypal is it not it's a lot like paypal um and and paypal works that way too so it's not instantaneous it takes a day or two to settle um the really game-changing stuff are things that change that back-end process so it's not just um customer facing or or interfaces that somebody can use to push a button it's a little easier like a phone number instead of going into logging into an application, that kind of thing. Um, the really game-changing stuff uh, changes the rails that money rides on, um, things that challenge the way that Visa or MasterCard move money throughout the world, um, things that would challenge the ACH network for moving money on the back end that banks see, um, or that that use those things in a, in a, in a significantly modified fashion. Um. Our producer, Mike, was talking earlier before we went on about how amazed he is. You just take a picture of a check and send it in the bank, and it gets deposited, and it's cleared. How On the back end, on the back end, how what's going on behind the scenes when that check ends up, when that picture shows up at the bank? It works a lot the same as it does when that picture ends up at the bank having been taken in the bank. Um it's not really any different. I mean, it could be, I guess, for us in particular, it's very, very similar. Um, the The picture of the check is read um, with the, the the Micker line reading technology is essentially the same as it is when we run it through a machine in the bank, um, and um, and it, pro- it you know once it gets to us, it looks just like anything else. It's a check twenty one image, is what we call it, and it settles just like a check. Right. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It, it is a check, and and I guess there was some conversation about uh, fraud and whether that's the next big fraud item. Um, why don't you talk about some of the protections that we have to make sure that that item is indeed uh, a, a valid check? Well, mobile deposit, which is sort of the industry name for what we're talking about, is something that we're implementing now, um, which is to say we don't have it at the moment, but we will later this year. Um so in order to actually do any of this, you have to log in. I guess the primary protection is you have to log into your mobile banking application from whatever bank you're depositing the check with. Um, so any of the safeguards that you could do anything beneath that apps, it, within that app, apply to a mobile deposit. Um, as far as the quality of the image, making sure that the check is good, it's actually really stringent. Um, the, the image has to be um, very good. It has to be the whole check. It has to 
read and um depending on how you set it up ours is going to be about as strict as it gets the um the the text that's written on it the signature that kind of thing um so so it's once the image comes to a bank it you know different banks would be set up differently but for us it goes through essentially the exact same authentication process that it would and you mentioned from the fraud item we will We've got some software that will run that through to make sure it's not that's not a duplicate check that's been deposited multiple times. Um, so that's a that's a good fail safe, uh, especially for us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we um and actually there's that's a that's a pretty technical but interesting topic. I think um, ours will will be pretty good at that. As a matter of fact, it'll know whether or not you not only have, have taken a picture of that thing more than once, but it'll know whether or not you came into the branch and deposited it. So you couldn't come in, take a picture, all that kind of thing. Right. You know, it'll all go through one database. Um, what's going on with credit cards these days? Credit cards, plastic. Um, what's going to happen to plastic over the next couple of years? I think that plastic over, say, the next decade decade and a half will go essentially the way that checks started to go once plastic came out um today plastic is still ubiquitous it's the way everyone pays for everything um and the phone hasn't replaced it but the talking about the smartphone right sure the the uh somebody using their smartphone to wave it next to a terminal with um near field communication right so a one-to-one -one replacement for a plastic card or using a virtual wallet to pay for something, which is kind of a whole separate idea. Um, it has not replaced plastic. We all use, we all carry plastic. I carry it. Um, but I think that as, I think that since the technology that will replace the debit card and for that matter, the credit card is already out there and actually pretty good. I think that, um, that while it won't go away, I think that the check is a pretty good analogy or or pretty good comparison to what will happen to volumes of of plastic transactions. So I get what guess what you're saying. Oh, um, is that is that my phone is going to be the receptacle receptacle of all my money? Well, I don't know. Google's getting pretty good at making other stuff that's smart that you carry on around you. But for the moment, yeah, I would say the phone is the the obvious candidate for the the um, the other thing that people have on them. Well, hold that to... thought about Google. I want to remind everybody this is uh, on the money. Brought to you by Embassy National Bank. I'm Joe Moss, president of Embassy National Bank, and I've got Ben Roby here talking about the future of uh, of banking uh, as it relates to personal. Uh, transactions and pain and that type of thing. So you mentioned Google's gotten pretty smart about other devices. So, I mean, that's, that's something. So what's going to replace the phone as receptacle for my money? Oh man, I don't think I have an answer to that one. Um, I, uh, that, that I was, saw somebody, uh, say the watch is going to yeah, come around. The watch is an idea. I know. I mean, to be really crazy about it, a contact lens is a thought, but, um, but as an if for the banking world as a as it applies to deposit banking or as it applies to payments to transactional managing of money um i don't think there's 
a very forthcoming candidate as a replacement for the smartphone at the moment. No. Um, so will I, will, will I need a bank in the future? Are, are we making banking obsolete? Well, as someone speaking to his boss at a bank, I sure hope so. <laughs> but, um, but it's a really relevant question. So in 10 years, there's a lot of functions uh, that a bank performs today that seem to be moving away from actual banks. Um, there's a, there's a pretty well-established idea that there's a large part of the population that is unbanked or underbanked. 50%, 60%. Especially if you include the underbanked part, yeah. Um, the, the difference being that unbanked, of course, is no banking relationship. Underbanked is not having as much of a banking relationship as you expect somebody that does that kind of banking activity to do. Um, the 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 places that um, that are filling the gaps are prepaid, reloadable uh, programs, um, money service businesses, um, and uh, frankly, uh, emerging technologies. Um, virtual currencies are 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 kind of the the elephant in the room on that one. But, you brought it up. I'll ask the question. Virtual currencies. There's a lot of people nodding their heads in the studio here. Um, tell us about virtual currencies. Well, as a banker, they're scary. Um, but what uh, is a virtual currency? Uh, I guess. Well, there, there's a few now. The the largest, and I think without a question, most prominent would be Bitcoin. Um, at its root, it's a answer to a mathematical algorithm. Um, but it's a um, exchangeable virtual um, thing that you can own at least for a time. So um, it's basically money that doesn't exist in the physical world. Right? Um, so uh, that idea and and having good technology behind it which i'm out of my depth but by all accounts bitcoin is um is is a not really just a game changer but a, a whole seismic shift in the way money would move around so we're no longer talking about rails at all we're talking about um pieces of a centralized chunk and and what little i know about bitcoin um i know that once you buy a Bitcoin, that you can use Bitcoin. Uh, I, I read that a couple went all the way around the world using Bitcoin. Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, a, a guy I know just uh, sold a house for Bitcoin. Um, quite a lot of, of Bitcoin. But um, yeah, it's... it's um, it's uh, like I say, it, it really changes the idea of the way money would move around. Um, and it's the, the very, very um, large challenge to needing a bank, right? So um, all of the stuff that we've talked about so far still gets settled at some point. All the stuff we've talked about so far still can have FDIC insurance on it. All the stuff we've talked about so far, if it needs a, a centralized manager, and, and that the virtual currencies are the one that don't. So well, that's is going back to a question: what makes a bank relevant? And uh, I think the answer to that question is is that uh, as an economy, we need a secure payment uh, infrastructure, payment settlement uh, settlement infrastructure, and that's what where that's where banks come in. 
Um, so banks have kind of, from your perspective, you're you're a young guy. I mean, from your perspective, banks have kind of fallen by the wayside in a lot of ways. They've fallen behind the curve. Um, I don't know that they've fallen behind the curve, but they certainly stand to be disrupted that way. Yes, if they don't evolve to actually embrace or work with or find a way to have a part in a transactional economy that doesn't revolve around a checking account that doesn't revolve around a traditional checking account um moving away from a traditional checking account i think is something that we are already seeing especially worldwide if you go outside the u.s um and um so the challenge for banks then is even if we can still house people's money if we can have deposit products that are pretty um park your money kind of things um uh, we generally pay more interest on those sorts of products. And so checking accounts where banks have um, a good margin uh, where we can keep cost of our funds down so that we can lend money to people who need it, um, that's going to become a real challenge. We're not going to be able to uh, reliably keep large checking account balances on our books because uh, there's going to be a growing percentage of the population that doesn't need us to do it. Or they put it somewhere else, right? If so, if 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 or they even keep it somewhere else, right? If it moves to prepaid, if it moves to even just at home, <laughs> you know, um, if it moves to virtual wallets, if it moves to wherever, and it's not in a banking checking account, so that makes our our what's, business model. What's gonna? Problem. What do you? Th we all have different ideas about this, but what what do you think is going to happen to cash? Good old Benjamins. I think cash doesn't go away. I, I just, uh, that's kind of more of a gut reaction as a person than as a banker, but I just have a hard time seeing it go away. Checks haven't gone away and they've, they've greatly reduced. That's why I compare the debit card to them, but, um, but they still have their place. Cash, I think will just always, it, it just can't go away. So. Well, the one thing that's going to probably govern a lot of this technology, well, two things. One is, uh, regulators, because regulators are going to want to know uh, if you can find out how money moves, you can find out what's going on. Um, and the, but the second item are the most people like to keep their money private, and they know moving to an electronic world, their money is no longer private. Uh, you can trace everybody's behavior back for 10, 15 years based on where their money is spent. So that there probably is probably going to be a push to try to hide my identity at the same time the regulators are trying to push and say, we want to know more and more and more. Yeah, there's a really interesting dynamic with regulators and emerging technologies and payments. Um, so that's actually one of their, one of the, the we'll, we'll use regulator pretty broadly here, but it's one of the um, chief contingencies with virtual currencies is that they're hard to trace you now in a way that's that's partly true um, and in a way it's not but um, but privacy is uh, is is an interesting topic I think it doesn't get as much concern from a lot of people as security does um, and on the security front um, the the new payment systems that we're talking about I think do have a lot of safeguards that actually rival if not exceed the ones that that are surrounding uh the plastic that we know today even that emv 
style plastic that we talked about a minute ago. Hold that thought about security. This is On the Money, uh, brought to you by Embassy National Bank. We're talking about the future of uh, uh, personal banking with uh, Mr. Ben Roby. Uh, this is Joe Moss at from Embassy, and Ben is uh, head of retail banking at Embassy National Bank, and we're having a pretty nice conversation about it all. Let's talk about safety. Um, I don't know how you pronounce it, but Mount Go or Mount Gox, Gox or something. That's where a lot of people were using to store their Bitcoin, and it turns out the guy was using it as collateral for other things, and now the Bitcoin's gone. Uh, so the whole issue of security, that's one thing. If you put your money somewhere, you're going to want to know you're going to get it back. But um, even with prepaids, um, even with prepaids, there is some risk about putting your money uh, with somebody other than a bank. Yeah, absolutely. Some banks have prepaid programs. Um, you know, we've we've kicked around the idea of doing that. And that allows the program to, to stand a decent chance of having FDIC insurance on it, um, which would obviously mitigate or eliminate the risk of losing your money. Um, and but a lot of uh, there's a lot of prepaid programs out there that aren't run by banks, of course, and and some of those and really a lot of those don't have FDIC insurance associated with them. And beyond that, they don't really have fraud protections, some you know, not the good ones, but um, it's possible to not only be on the hook for um, for not having insurance on what's deposited or deposit-like products, uh, places to put your money, but um, but no protections against what happens if somebody steals the information for the the prepaid card or whatever the access device is as you're doing a transaction and then uses it and cleans you out. So. Um, yeah, it, it really can be, in a sense, the Wild West and um, if, if it's not done responsibly. At the moment, I think that's where banks really have a large relevant place to play and I, a role to play. And I think that's one of the exciting things that we're trying to do is to figure out how to engage that market, that need, that solution in a responsible way. Um, and, um, and so I, I think and I hope that's a valuable service that we can provide to people. But You and I were talking earlier about... Uh... Uh, what the uh, what the world looks like when you get paid at some point and, and this is happening now but at some point you can tell your your company you say put my pay put some of it in bitcoin put some of it on a prepaid account put some of it in a in a in a bank and put some of it in my savings plan so you've got multiple multiple places to put your money some of which don't ever end up in a bank such as the virtual currencies so it's uh, and all that ultimately ends up on your phone. Yeah, today, uh, like we were talking about, I think the the phone or you know an application based mindset and and those run through the phone um, is is the way most people think about this, including the folks that are are doing the innovating, or at least by and large, that's the centralized platform or or access device today. Um, we've got. A question from one of our producers. So, Brandon, you got an expert here. Why don't you fire away? Yeah, I'm thinking from the perspective of for the consumers, the business owners that are out there, some are, are tech savvy, some are not. But how do we as consumers weigh the advantages of having a relationship with a, a brick and mortar 
bank and then ideally bankers, the people within that facility, as opposed to using all of these digital platforms that are out there to manage your assets and kind of operate on day to day. What it, and and I'm thinking in the from the standpoint of how do we bullet point what are some of those things we need to be looking for uh, when we're looking at a bank versus going completely digital, completely virtual. So that's a good question. This is coming. This is as a consumer, or as a small business owner. Yes. E- either way, wh- whatever feels right. Okay. Um, well, on the business front, um, there's a, a lot of things that are different. Um, there's a lot of things that are similar, but um, in our experience, and I think it's, this is a probably an industry wide thing. There's um, there's a lot of things that are that are there's a, a more robust relationship with a bank and helping you manage your cash, helping you move it around, that's going to be required if you're a small business owner, especially if you're a small business owner. Um, And so we have a much higher, we call it touch rate, with business relationships than we do with consumers. Um, And uh, there's a a couple of reasons for that. One is the more in-depth relationship. Another one is that we're required to know a lot more about the business owners than than consumers um so for a variety of reasons um i think and and this is sort of i think the reason joe titled this the way he did is this is a very heavily consumer oriented topic that that we're talking about um that's not to say businesses aren't processing you know even things like bitcoin but um but by and large a lot of the innovation that um that we've seen has come from consumer-driven things, consumer demand. Um, Being forced on to the small business owner because it's got to be a there's got to be acceptance for a technology to work. Right, right. So that's you know one of the reasons EMV hasn't taken off is is there's um, it would take a large infrastructure change or a lot of a lot of hardware change. But um, to answer the the part about the consumer, I hope that it's of a lot of value to people. Um, as a banker, I hope that's a big deal. Um, as a small community banker, I hope that's a big deal. And I think to a lot of people it is. Um, I think that um, it's an interesting question coming from you. This is something that is, uh, I think, has wide acceptance as being generational. Right. Um, so uh, younger folks would imagine going onto a website would imagine going onto their phone and not just doing banking transactions, but actually starting a bank account, funding something without ever talking to a banker. Um, so while that may not be our preference, um, in some some cases it is. The banking industry tried to move people out of the branch for the, during the '90s, right? But um, but today, as we're kind of talking about the stuff that we're talking about now, um, we value the relationship that we have with with um, with customers a lot more. That's a good uh, point. I mean, we, I heard an, an older banker, older than me, that's pretty old, talk about, man, we're doing, we used to want to see our customers every day. Now we're doing whatever we can to push them out of the, out of the bank. I would, if I were advising somebody getting started, a small business owner or a, a young person, I would say, just as we're supposed to get to know our customer, I think the person, the, needs to get to know their banker because I think one thing that's going to be common and will never leave us as humans is the fact that we like to interact on a personal level. 
Um, and um, I, I think it's real important that even though you might be banking online completely, I think it's important to get to know who you're banking with. Right. I think it's very important. I continue to be important. Well, one thing, you know, I, I'm in my 30s, so, and I consider myself very tech savvy. That's very digital. That's where I live. But one of the things I think I've seen since the 80s, and you mentioned the 90s, you know, you had a lot of companies moving offshore or uh, to uh, computer-based systems for answering the phone, for example. And many have gone to uh, local call centers and back to where uh, uh, there's there's something uh, where people are actually answering the phone. So there's something about that personal touch. And with some of the banks and, and a lot of my friends now are buying homes or buying second homes. And um, a lot of the online platforms seem like if you don't fit that ideal criteria, you're either out the door or you're not given the best value. And it's it's better, at least for me and, and kind of who I'm hanging out with, to at least go in, kind of get to know the person and, and build a relationship. And and I could sit across from you, Joe, or, or Ben at the bank and find out what are my options here as opposed to doing something online and, you know, here's your choices, that's it, and and having to, to find somewhere else to go through the filters. Well, in that case, I know a small bank in Lawrenceville that would love to have you come through the door. Oh, I like. Um, I see why you got this guy, Joe. <laughs> but um, no, it's a it's a good point, and it, today especially, um, it's a good answer to how banks stay relevant, especially ones like us. You know, we have to try to to maybe not compete, but at least offer things that are similar to um, the uh, being able to access money or move it around or whatever um, remotely that. Um, that larger banks are offering, but you know, that's, that's one of the, the, the fact that when you call us, we answer the phone is, is one of the big, one of the big differences between us and say bank of America. So. Uh, this is on the money brought to you by embassy national bank. This is Joe Moss, your moderator. And I'm joined by Ben Roby, who runs our retail uh, banking group at embassy national bank. And uh, we're having a real good discussion about where, where technology is taking banking and um, we're talking about, uh, we just talked about relationship. My contention is that we're always going to want to have a touch with whoever we're dealing with. If you think about it, money is a very important item to you. And um, you, you don't want to take one of your most important items and give it off to somebody and not know what's going on with it. So I think that, you know, getting to know your banker and getting to know those types of things, I think that will continue to be important. Uh, Mike, you had a question. I do, Joe, and appreciate the topic. It's really interesting today. Right now, the government, of course, is in the cash printing business. As we go towards a cashless society and everything's more electronically, where does the government fit in this? What What is their role going to be? Because you know they, they want to have their hand into everything, uh, but I don't see a spot for the government. So would the government have a role anywhere in this cashless society or as we go more electronically with everything? Yeah, I mean, let me let me jump on that one. It's kind of one of my hot buttons. Um, yes, because as I mentioned earlier, the government really doesn't like cash transactions. Uh, what they prefer is an electronic uh, transaction, so that way they can monitor uh, everybody's activity from a criminal element. But uh, as a consumer, we don't know whether we just know that everything we do now is out there for somebody to look at. And some people have trouble with that. A lot of, some people don't. Um, personally, I don't necessarily, um, uh, but other people do just, just cause, um, but where's government, all this, the other piece of it is 
they've got to make sure they continually understand the amount of uh, value that flows in our economy because so quite frankly they can they can tax it and that that va- also and that value is not used for criminal purposes um, so they're going to have a big role in it and unfortunately they're tagging us the banker with that responsibility uh, they're requiring if we offer for example to set to help someone who processes uh, bitcoin if we offer them a place to uh change the Bitcoin into currency or some type of cash um, or just put it in a checking account they can use in other places. The government's requiring us to ask Bitcoin, where's all that money coming from? So we almost become the de facto police in this whole thing. But the government is going to get even bigger as this whole currency thing gets out from underneath them, I, I believe. Ben, you want to add to that? Um, just a little bit. Yeah, the answer definitely is yes. I agree with you about that. Um, and I think that the government, to to lump the agencies that that do this into one easy word, um, is struggling with uh, how to think about their role in it right now. Um, and it's not just, just Bitcoin that Joe's talking about. Um Money service businesses, uh, the rules are changing um, a lot and often. Um, Money service business, let me just sure everybody yeah. understands. That's where you can go to just cash a check and then send the money overseas, for example. Right. It's banking or bank-like services from a non-bank finan- uh, institution, mm-hmm. right? So Western Union, something like that. Um, so the, the rules there are, are changing a lot. Um, the rules about virtual currencies, of course, are changing, and 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 that, insofar as there are any today, um, you mentioned taxing them. Um, that's one of the only rules that really does is clear today. Um, bitcoins are taxed as investments. So, um, but um, uh, but yeah, the 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 regulatory um, demands on banks. Um, and banks' response to them is is um, is definitely an evolving thing. Um, yeah, and it's we, something we deal with every day. There's a lot of pressure being put on us to make sure that we we keep up with exactly what we know what our customers doing. One last question, Joe, and then I won't hijack your show anymore. And and that is, it seems to me as we move towards everything more electronic and digital and everything, and you have to have an iPhone to get this or that done. It seems like we're discriminating against the less than well-to-do people. The people that don't have iPhones or don't have this or don't have internet or email, uh, it seems like they would be obviously against this coming forth. I think that's a, a very good point, and I think Ben mentioned the concept of the money service business. I think there will be a, uh, a, a almost an, there's an industry that has been developed around helping those those people deal in the digital world. And uh, I think you'll find more and more growth in that whole area. Two two things. One is people don't want to go into a bank uh, for whatever reason. They trust their C store owner more than they do their banker, which is uh, the convenience store owner. It's more than they do their banker, which is which is interesting in itself. Um, and uh, and and I think those businesses just make it easier to transact money. Now we as a bank have to process those businesses 
And then that's where the responsibility comes on us to make sure we understand what those businesses are doing. Because it would be very easy for someone who's a drug kingpin to to take their cash, deposit a C store, have it wired to, to Mexico. Well, you know, what's the check on that? Check on that is, well, they're beating up on Western Union, make sure Western Union is telling them where the money's coming from. And then when the money comes into us, uh, that we've got to know where that C store owner would have gotten the money from. So, but uh, it leads me to my another point that I had. And I, you know, where does all, what's the end game in all this? Hold on, Ben wants to jump in. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was a, it's a interesting little last point about the answers to both of your questions. Where does the government fit in and how do we address the needs of, um, call it the underbanked or folks that don't have smartphones, folks that don't, uh, have traditional checking accounts, that kind of thing. Um, the Postal Service actually is trying to get into that. Um, they're exploring uh, a prepaid program that uh, is something that at one time, apparently, they were in the business of. This was before my before my days. But um, but the, the U.S. Postal Service is exploring that as a way to both get um, their bottom line back in order and address the, the problems that you're, the issues you're, you brought up. And I... Uh in a little safer place. So let, the end game of all this. Uh, last week we talked about small business. Um, boy, Ben and I were talking before. This is a heck of a time you're giving, and Mike, your last question, for a small business to get their arms around. Well, if a bank's not going to take care of the underbanked, how is, how is, what about me as a small businessman? Is there a way I can get involved and, uh, and help uh, the unbanked and then just take all that business into a bank and let the bank bank me as opposed to all the, the uh, underserved. So I, I think as a small business entrepreneur, if I were looking at an area that I wanted to pursue, that would have to be an area. Is, is how Because banks aren't going to figure it out. We're slow. We're, we're slow. We, we've got a lot of things going on technology-wise, uh, but also from a— uh, Is it okay if Brandon tweets that out? No, we're slow. We've always over it. That's why PayPal's out there. That's why uh, a lot of bank uh, companies are out there because we weren't able to s- stay on the curve. So um, anyway, um, end game is from a small business owner, uh, keep your eye out for how you can profit from helping um, uh, help people uh, navigate this this. Uh, technology landscape as a result to payments and remittances and then um uh, for the consumer uh just stand by be ready i think like i said i think it's important for you to know where your money's who your money is with and how it's being safe kept uh so there's really no uh substitute for getting to know your banker which then leads you to the obvious thing well i do I bank with Bank of America or do I bank with someone like Embassy National Bank? Well, our choice is bank with us because we'll tell you every day what we're doing and, and where your money is and what the process is like. Um, ben, concluding comments? No, I'm, I'm glad that uh, that I got a shot at this show. I've been looking forward to it since you've been coming over here on Wednesdays, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Brandon, for the question. Any other comments, guys? good questions uh this is on the on the money brought to you by embassy national bank this is joe moss and uh we are really happy to bring you this segment and uh we'll see you next week make it a great week 